lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Stop Missing Your Life. Oh my gosh, what up? What is up? What is up? Ah, it's the end of February. Holy moly. How did we get here so fast? Sheesh. I can't believe it. Can you guys? I mean, this year is just going to fly by just like last year did. And I'm really excited and committed this year to sharing all kinds of amazing tools. So whether I'm gifting people things like some of the things we talk about on the show, which I talked about in one session episode that I'm going to be giving stuff away. Um, if you want to get some of these amazing gift boxes, um, go ahead and write a review on uh Apple Podcasts and send us an email at info at thesoulfrequency.com and you might have a gift box coming your way. I'm also going to share some amazing, because people ask me sometimes like, what are some just simple free tools that I can use to up-level my life or to help during my spiritual awakening um, or to help me manifest? And so I'm going to give you a bunch of them right now. If you are not driving a car, you're going to want to write all of this down. So certainly the podcast is a free tool. Um, the frequencies that we transmit through the show are very high frequency. The more you listen to it, the more you'll start to align with it. You'll start to open up new ways of looking at life and new perspectives. So tuning in and aligning with the show each week will get you thinking in new ways, obviously, and start having you take new actions, which just naturally occurs. And it will also help you raise your frequency. Also, if you haven't been on our blog, the Soul Frequency blog, we have over 100 articles um, on our blog with topics like two frequencies that heal mind and body. We talk about frequencies that literally interact with the mind and the body for healing. We have an article called, Is Reality Real? Understanding Quantum Science. So if you're interested in quantum conversations, that's an awesome article. We also have things like, changing negative thoughts to positive. So if you struggle with negative thinking, um, this might be a great article for you. So there are so many more on the blog, things around food and health and just really everything in between. So there's a search bar on the website. You can enter a word in the search bar or a phrase or a title of a blog, and it'll pull up anything that has those words in it. So it's really easy to find um, topics that you're interested in there. Also, you can go um, and get a free download of an amazing morning meditation called Raise Your Frequency. I created this meditation for a couple different reasons. It's really about starting your day in a high vibe way and feeling peaceful and inspired. It's also about manifesting. So it's a way to set powerful intentions each day and also just, you know, get some good juju going in the morning. So there are healing frequencies embedded in this audio. Um, so the more you listen to it, the more you're taking in those frequencies. And the meditation goes through 
three different phases. So you can read more about those phases um, and you can get your own download at thesoulfrequency.com forward slash get dash started. So not the underscore, but the, you know, the dash thing, get dash started. Also, I just created a brand new PDF guide which is on the homepage of the website called The Three Steps to Manifesting a High Frequency Life. And I literally walk you through the steps of manifesting and you can start using this PDF guide and writing right on it, just print it out and write right on it. Um, so it's something you can do immediately today and you can get that right on the homepage at thesoulfrequency.com. So one of the things that I love about you guys and the show is being able to provide information and guests and new insights and new ways of looking at life so that each one of us that tune in here can be up-leveling our life. And then together as a group and as a community and a collective, we are, even if we don't know each other, supporting each other's energy and up-leveling our life. So these are just added ways that we can amplify that along with tuning into the show. So I hope you find a lot of good guidance in those resources and take advantage of them and start using them. And if you want to share anything about aha moments or cool things that have happened from them, you can always send that into us at info at thesoulfrequency.com. So lots of amazing stuff, lots of good things. This year's off to an incredible start. I hope you are feeling the same way. There's some good energy in 2020, I got to tell you. And today our theme is stop missing your life, which is a super powerful concept. I hope you think so too. You're going to love this interview. My guest today is Corey Mascara. He's an international speaker and teacher on the topics of presence and well-being. He believes that when people are deeply fulfilled, they are a better force in the world for other beings, the environment, and their communities. For the past few years, he has taught mindfulness-based leadership at Columbia University and currently serves as an instructor of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. In 2012, Corey spent six months in silence living as a monk in Burma, meditating 14 plus hours per day, and now aims to bring these teachings to people in a practical and usable way, presenting to schools, organizations, and healthcare systems, as well as through workshops and retreats for the general public. Named by Dr. Oz as one of the nation's leading experts on mindfulness, his meditations have now been heard more than 10 million times in over 80 countries. Corey is the author of Stop Missing Your Life, How to Be Deeply Present in an Unpresent World. So with no further ado, Corey Mascara. Welcome to the show. We're happy to have you on today. Hi, Shauna. My pleasure. Well, I am thrilled to have this conversation because you have a book that is just out. It came out December 31st called Stop Missing Your Life. Who doesn't need to read that book? <laughs> Let's just have a moment for that right now. I know. You know, titling, it's one thing to write a book. It's another thing to title a book. It's another thing to get a book out there. The, the titling was quite a process for me because I originally wanted to call the book uh, Deep Presence. And uh, 
the publisher didn't love it. They're like, it's not marketable. It kind of sounds like an 80s porno. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and then, then I wanted to call it Permission to Be Human. And I was like, that really feels like it captures it. And they were still like, yeah, it feels a little soft. I'm like, all right, whatever. What do you want? And they pulled, they pulled something from chapter four, which is on focus. And I had the title of that chapter was Focus, colon, um, uh, Stop Missing Your Life. And they said, what if we called it Stop Missing Your Life? And I, I initially resisted it because it didn't sound like me. You know, I'd never say to my students, stop missing your life. Yeah. But as I reflected more on the culture right now and like the particular flavor of our culture, the zeitgeist, I was like, this is actually the message. Um, if there's anything people need to hear right now, if there's any, like we need to be almost... Um, uh, grabbed by the shoulders and someone to shake us a little bit and, and something that's a little more in our face to get some of these teachings that have been around for millennia uh, across at this day and age. So I've really grown to appreciate the the title and the different flavors that it um, it impacts a person. I love that story. And I love that you share that because I come up with things all the time and I'm like, let's, I'm like, let's talk about remembering. It's like an, it's an, it's about remembering like the essence of who you are. And people are like, nobody understands that Shona. I'm like, (laughs) I I get that. I'm like, people get that though. It's so funny. Right. So it's like, let's bring it back down to earth. I'm like, no, but it's really about the, you know, I'll go like out in the ether. Right. Yes. And and they're like, um, no one's going to even read that because no one's going to understand what that is. I'm like, but everybody needs to understand what that is. So I can totally appreciate when I wrote my book, the subtitle for me was like, I literally for months, like ached over the subtitle, I feel like and tried so many different things. It was it's a it's a thing titling a book that is going to encompass this body of work, right? There's so much in there. And sometimes it can be largely I think we do pull it out of the text at some point but usually you need someone else to help with that because it's hard to see the forest through the trees and and get that done but I'm thrilled we're going to be talking about it but before we even go into some of what I just thought was amazing in the book I would love for you to share you know your path in life and what brought you to this moment to write this book sure um it's been an interesting journey I uh uh, well, the first, <laughs> the first line of the book, I'll give people a preview, um, kind of describes how this journey started and uh, acknowledging that when many people think of a meditation teacher, which is the thing I think most people would put on my business card, they usually think um, very spiritual, burns incense or lights candles and stuff. Uh, and I just got into all of this for uh, very different reasons and less noble reasons. I was trying to impress my college girlfriend. Uh, she was into meditation. She was kind of a hippie. I was like, I wanted her to think I was cool. And that started my meditation practice. Um, and I made this New Year's resolution to meditate three times a week, 15 minutes a day. And like I told her about it, I wanted her to know about it. She broke up with me a couple of weeks later. So there's no <laughs> happy ending. Um, but the the pain of that breakup caused me to take the practice more seriously because it was the only thing that I was using to find some relief. And um, uh, I just slowly started becoming more self-aware. Well, the, the first things that caught my attention were my sleep improved, my focus improved, and I was getting a little happier. Um, but meditation as a practice, as a like a 
a vehicle for investigating your experience and coming closer to your own human experience, like that was waking me up in different ways. And it quickly went from this superficial undertaking um, to a real deep interest in uh, what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to live well. And about a year and a half after that, I was uh, living in a monastery with a shaved head, um, engaged in a, a very long silent meditation retreat. So the the whole process, um, it started for interesting reasons and uh, escalated very quickly into something that was quite meaningful in my life. Um, and these days, right, that, that was back in 2012 where I went into the, that monastery. I was a six-month silent retreat, and that was just a period of my life where um, every day, seven days a week, we were meditating about 14 to uh, toward the end of that retreat, 20 hours per day, sleeping only a few hours, two small meals. Um, and it was very structured and clear what the what you had to do each day it was just you wake up at 3 a.m you go to bed and you're just meditating the whole day and i loved it my mind works really well with that structure and the goal of going there was to explore what is the potential to cultivate a, a quality of peace and contentment that wasn't solely contingent upon external variables and uh by the end of that retreat i felt like i had I had reached that i was practicing about 20 hours each day in my room. I was sleeping two hours a night. There were spiders everywhere and mosquitoes and it was hot and all this stuff that would typically make me lose my mind was uh, I was actually able to be with, with a, a groundedness, a peace and an equanimity that I had never experienced before. It was profound, the highest happiness I ever touched. And I was like, cool, I got it. Let me go back into the world and all the other stuff will just be gravy. But like I found my foundation of happiness. And, um, and I remember coming home, it was like literally like five days afterwards, I'm having dinner at my, my parents' house and sitting at the same seat that I sat at growing up, uh, my dad in one seat, my mom in another, my brother, sister. And my dad says something along the lines of like, okay, well, you know, now that you're home, time that you figure out how you're going to make some money, because I was like 50 grand in debt uh, from college. And, you know, he, he said it with no uh, malicious intent, but I heard it through like, my my own mind of like well you're not in monk land anymore buddy you got to work like the rest of us and all that peace i had like was just vacuum sucked out of my body and started ruminating about how much i hate living at home and all this stuff all of this after six months of silent meditation and it was just very clear that it was one thing to cultivate that quality of peace in a monastic setting where there are no triggers and very few distractions and it's another thing to do it in the real world where it often counts the most and I'd say my, and it, I should also acknowledge, like I had a lot of new internal resources to navigate the real world, but it was still a, a learning process. And uh, I'd say my, my big work right now is just looking at the intersection of that, of reducing the, the interface or the perceived dichotomy of like the work you get to do in retreat when you go on a retreat and the work you have to do in the world. Uh, for for a long time, that dichotomy was very strong, and now I'm trying to um, to bring that quality of presence into all aspects and facets of of life. Um, that's really what I focus on now, and it's kind of a, a long story of how I got there. Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's an incredible journey, and it's such an important point to make, I think, because you know, in so-called, I would just call them like perfect peace circumstances, mm. right? Like having peace is one thing in those, 
but what is it to be around things and life that triggers you in different ways and triggers pain and triggers past and triggers your experiences? And you talk about in the book, the pain box. Can you explain mm -hmm. what that is? Yeah. So, you know, chapter one is titled Being Human is Hard which is not the most uplifting title. Uh, and it was all done uh, intentionally because I, I wanted to start out just being very real with people. Uh, and a lot of times when we're talking about being present these days, it's, um, it's spoken about as a, a, a nice platitude and just something that we should all be able to do, just be present. But there are a lot of reasons why we're not present, why we're not embodying deep presence. Um, and it's because we've learned over a lifetime all the reasons why we shouldn't be in this moment, why we shouldn't be thinking certain thoughts or feeling certain feelings or um, or just like the many traumas of life that accumulate that cause us to want to disconnect, numb, and not actually be here. So I wanted to first acknowledge that for the reader in chapter one. And, um, and so that that's how that first chapter plays out. But the, the next chapter, which is titled The Risk of Being You, um, is the one that talks about the pain box. And it's the acknowledgement that all of these like various traumas of life uh, from the micro level to the macro level, they create these walls, these what I think most of us would understand as like um, walls of guarding that keep us shut down from connecting to other people, uh, from connecting to ourselves, from experiencing vulnerability or shame or any sort of pain. Our minds are so brilliant and wonderful. We have to celebrate them for this at, at just making sure we don't have to experience too much pain. Um, very good at disconnecting, very good at numbing, and very good at keeping us from going into territory that we've learned at one point in our lives was painful. And so that defense mechanism is, is a wall. And, you know, this could be, uh, you know, we, we really want to embody more authenticity but that requires maybe feeling some shame, like a real part of our experience might be shame. And the last time we experienced shame, it felt way too painful. We didn't feel like we had the inner resources to meet it. So the body, the mind says, well, never again am I gonna feel shame. So it puts up a wall. So now we have this struggle. There's something that we want, but there's something that we need to feel first in order to get that. Um, and the thing that blocks us is the wall of the pain box. The wall doesn't actually exist. There's no like actual concrete there that we have to break through or push through. It's just the perceived pain that we would need to experience in order to get wherever it is that we want. Um, and all of these walls get accumulated over the course of a lifetime that tend to box us into a very small way of being, living, or experiencing our lives. And I think a big part of embodying the, the depth and the breadth of uh, presence in our lives, like really experiencing the fullness of our lives without all of these perceived limitations, um, requires moving through some of those walls of the pain box. Absolutely. And something that really stuck out for me because I've had this experience, I host a sacred circle. And when you bring, you know, different energy and different people together in a sacred space um, and you create a container of safety, it's amazing the healing that goes on and the things that are shared. And it's a really sacred experience. And I've learned from hosting the experience with different people um, over time. And you say in the book that it just really touched me because it's my experience that I've had as well, that I 
didn't expect to have that I learned through coming in circle with people and being, I've been in circle many times, but being the facilitator of mm. that. Um, and it says, you say, I don't believe we can get out of our pain box and access deep presence without feeling safe. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing it up and sharing your experience with safety and running groups where that's at the core. Um, I think any anyone that is working at the level of personal development, healing, um, either understands this from the get-go or has to learn it over time that that creating that safety is the key to any sort of substantial change happening. Uh, quite simply, because the there are like surface level changes that are that can be easy for like maybe a lot of us like okay you know i want to be a little healthier i see that i'm eating three cookies before i go to bed maybe i should stop that and some of that you know we could just like shift patterns but there's a lot of other stuff that's really deep really subtle and um those patterns won't necessarily come to the surface unless they feel safe to do so. They won't let us explore them, be with them, shift them, um, unless there's a sense of safety. And a good therapist, the first thing they're going to do is just create a space where the person feels comfortable enough like actually being themselves, sharing their experience, voicing their experience. Um, uh, and so when it comes to like being ourselves in the world, right? The, the section that you're referencing uh, is titled Safety, the, the Linchpin of Presence. There are different, I, I describe two different forms of safety that can be developed. There's, uh, I think, the main one that we think of, which is like an external safety. And this is the safety that uh, other people can create for us. I think we all are familiar with spaces and people and circles where we feel more safe than others, places where we can be ourselves, where we could share something and not feel like we're going to be made fun of. Maybe this is with family, with friends, in a classroom, whatever. And we also know those spaces where we don't feel safe to do so, where we might feel a little bit more shut down, scared to be ourselves. So that is highlighting how the external world and communities can actually play a significant role in us um, being able to take risks uh, and and share who we are on a more authentic level. I, I think that point often gets overlooked. Um, but there's another form of safety that we can develop uh, that's more of an internal safety. And this, you, there are endless examples of people that might not necessarily have the external safety created for them, but they just take this stance that I am going to embody who I am independent of what the world wants from me, expects from me, thinks I should be. Um, and that's something, at least in the context of a book, that uh, we can discuss more uh, more deeply of like what would it look like to develop that over time to develop an internal sense of safety a container where you feel safe to be yourself to express yourself um, and also to hold the potential consequences of that in the world without having to shut down numb dissociate or retreat back into a half-hearted way of living um, and the book is about developing that internal safety for ourselves so I, I think it's the biggest work, and I think both are important, external and internal, but at least in the context of a book, there's not much I can do to help the external world change, although I hope it's a call to action for that. Um, but there's a lot that we can do internally to make that shift, and uh, the rest of the book builds on that. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And I think, you know, 
they flow into each other, right? Like when we have the first, maybe for some people, the first experience of feeling in a safe space with somebody or with people, because a lot of people don't feel safe even in their family or even with the people that they say love them the most. But when you have an experience where you feel a sense of safety at all, whether it's inner safety or whether it's in your external environment, you've had that feeling then, right? And I think it, I think it calls people forward to really go, ooh, I want more of that. That feels good, right? Like that feels good and right. That feels like something where I don't have to um, stay in that pain box, where I don't have to keep my walls up. And we slowly start to let those perceived walls um, come down a little bit. And I think, you know, I know from my own personal journey, but I know a lot of people um, that I've worked with and people that I'm friends with, it just, it calls you forward. Yes. Like, oh, I want, you know, I want to feel more of that. Yes. And for, for anyone listening, that's maybe hearing this and going, you know, well, this sounds like a nice idea, but, but where the heck do I start? Like, how do I even begin creating this for myself? Um, It's one of the reasons why meditation continues to be at the heart of my work, um, because I do see it as a practice of learning to create safety within yourself. The, the, and that, that safety can take a lot of different forms, but the simple, the, the simple process of sitting down, lying down, however you do your meditation practice, and just choosing to be present for yourself, not immediately run from yourself, not immediately need to change your experience, but just to hold space for yourself is the practice of creating safety. There are many dimensions of our being that have learned internally that it's not safe for them to show up in our awareness, whether it's insecurity, fear, sadness, vulnerability. The traumas of life over time have taught us like what is, have taught those parts of ourselves um, who, who is okay to be seen and who's not. Maybe the happy part, yeah, they're allowed into our awareness, but the sad part, no, we're not allowed to be sad. The angry part, not allowed to be angry. And so, the, the meditation practice, although many people tend to think of it as like um, turning our attention away from those experiences or just focusing on the breath at the expense of everything else, although that's one form of practice, I'm more interested in how the practice is used to make space for the wholeness of who we are. So if you're wondering how to create that safety, just start by lying down on your bed put one hand on your belly, put one hand on your heart and say for the next five minutes, 10 minutes, I'm going to create some space to maybe start to feel more of myself. And we're not talking like feeling the physical part of your body, but the parts of you that maybe you've shut down from that you don't typically allow yourself to access the part that feels sad or totally burnt out, but you don't let yourself feel it because you just need to caffeinate and go, go, go. You give yourself some space to drop in to allow that to arise, if it's there, you can't force any of this to arise, but if it's there beneath the surface, you don't suppress and just say, okay, you're welcome here too. And that as a simple phrase, you're welcome here too, is starting to uh, create that safety for yourself. In the same way, Shauna, that you were creating that safety for other people, it's essentially saying like, your experience is welcome here too, to all those people. You're doing that to the people within, within you, all the different parts of you, and you become the facilitator for yourself in that creation. Mm, I love that. That's so powerful. Mm. And you talk also in the book about intimacy. Yeah. 
um, which I think is such an important conversation. And I love the way that you define it. I don't think I have these exact words, but you say something along the lines of the experience that happens when you feel seen and heard. Mm, yes. Yeah. I forget how I actually describe it a hundred percent. That's the weird thing about writing a book. You, you end up, you work on all these things and you're like, wow, that's really important. And then, and then it's like, wait, how did, how was I saying that specifically again? Right. Cause uh, it takes them a second to write a book too. <laughs> I, know. Like, I wrote that a year ago. Uh, it, it's yeah. It's like after the editing process and, and all of that, I'm trying to look through it right now, but I probably won't be able to find it. Um, so but true. But yeah, that, that, is, that is the main sentiment. Um, yeah, here it is. Uh, the experience that emerges in moments when you feel truly seen and accepted. Um, and, and so that's an interesting one because some of us might hear that and go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I get it. I've, I've heard that maybe in other contexts. But the word that I focus on there is uh, on in this definition is you right? The experience that emerges in moments when you feel truly seen and accepted. So what do we mean by that word you? Because we have so many different parts of us, so many different dimensions of us. And there might be certain parts that feel seen and accepted, right? We might, you know, the part that's really joyful, we let that part in and go, oh, I really like you. You know, you're, you're great. You're welcome here, joyful part. But what about the parts that are, are sad, that feel unresolved, that feel hurt, that feel shame? Do those parts get to be seen and accepted? Do they feel, especially like within yourself as a starting point? And a lot of times um, that's not the case. And here's something I'll say that I stand very firmly on. The depth of intimacy you'll be able to experience with another person is directly related to the depth of intimacy you're able to experience with yourself. If there are parts of you that you have not integrated, that you don't feel uh, safe within yourself to see and accept, there is no way that you're going to allow another person to see and accept those. And even if they do see and accept those, you won't be able to believe it because you haven't done the work yourself. So the big process of like intimacy with another person is first developing that intimacy with ourselves otherwise like we're we're just constantly like grasping at other people to give us something that uh, even if they say like i love you i love you i love you we'll only be able to hear it at the level that we're first able to love ourselves um, but if there's deeper stuff that we're disconnected from that we haven't done the work to appreciate and love we won't believe that another person will love it because we we haven't even done it ourselves and and that's a really key point when it comes to intimacy you know what's interesting i was just thinking there are on any one person's journey there are like perspective shifts i think that occur that really take you into just a new frequency of like living, right? Mm. And when you were saying that, I was thinking about, um, you know, how the inner flows to the outer, right? Like how mm. we literally see like reflections of work we've done or not done or things we need to look at in our environment, in the people that we know. And a really powerful thing happened for me at a certain point in my journey where when something would show up in my life, like in relationship, right? or in my world, or sometimes, you know, you, ha you have like a, a lesson happen like three times with three different people, or <laughs> it's just really showing up in your reality, right? Yes. And, and I would say to myself, like, instead of having any opinion or knee-jerk reaction about the person or the environment, I would, I would go within. Like, I would say to myself, like, 
okay, why is this showing up from, you know, what's in me or what do I need to see in myself? Mm. And not from a place of like blaming yourself or anything like that, but just from a place of curiosity about, okay, this is showing up in my reality. Like, where's the work in me? And it really changed my life, like how I move through the world. Um, And I think that goes back to what you were sharing about intimacy and about really looking how you were saying so beautifully about if if we're not recognizing the love within ourselves, we're not going to recognize someone else showing us that. Yes. Yeah. it's, It's just so powerful. I love everything that you say about intimacy. This is, I find that the book in general, when I read through the whole book, it's like you touch on I think different than, you know, someone might have an idea of what a meditation book is, right? A book yeah. of meditation. And there's, there's so, it's such a well-rounded um, healing book, right? Yeah. About how we can look at these different places in our life and these different places within ourselves, and how by looking within at these different things and understanding them in new ways, that we are naturally going to become more present in our life because we're not shielding. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for acknowledging that too, Shauna. You know, at one point early in the book, I think it was right after the mindfulness and meditation chapter. um, I say, you know, listen, mindfulness is, is a huge part of this book and this process, but it's, it's also not the whole thing. Um, And there's going to be a lot that we, we discuss in this book. Uh, I think many people coming to this book are going to expect a straight up uh, mindfulness book, just because that's been the majority of my teachings over the years, but they've evolved quite a bit uh, to be more inclusive and encompassing and broad, looking at like the depth of what does it really mean to show up fully for our lives, to to be able to hold all of the nuances, the uncertainty, the the great joy we can experience and the great pain we can experience, how to like show up fully for all of that, hold it without needing to, to shut down. Um, that's a that's a massive journey and it it needs to take into consideration um relationships other people like it's one thing to do it as i mentioned in a monastery and there's a whole other thing to bring it into the world and i'd never you know so many of the great teachings that i learned came from monks but i'd never go to a monk for relationship advice (laughs) They, they don't know anything about it they might have ideas but they they haven't actually like lived the, the complexity of that. So um, I appreciate you saying how uh, well-rounded it felt because that, that was important to me, uh, uh, this being like a, a map to really develop and embody presence. Yeah. And there's so many different, um, just really profound statements in the book that I think are really powerful too, that can literally, I mean, all it takes is one sentence to shift a perspective about something. And I found that there were many of those in there okay. um, that were really beautiful aha moments. Um, so great job. And you guys can go and uh, pick up this book. You can go to stopmissingyourlife.com where there are cool book bonuses. There are lots of book bonuses. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly you can get it on Amazon, but I highly recommend it um, as an adjunct to a lot of what we talk about on the show, but taking it even into new terrain. So I love reading books and I love having people on the show with books. I always learn something new. And there were many things in Corey's book that I felt like this is a really fresh perspective on this. Um, Mm. So I definitely highly recommend um, going and getting that, you guys. And Mm. we're going to also ask Corey the four questions we ask all of our guests. I always get amazing um, messages about these questions. People look forward to them. Um, 
it's a time to kind of, you know, share about where you're at in your journey and things that might be rising to the surface for you. Um, it's based on a process that I take people through called the anatomy of transformation. And the first pillar of the process is truth. I believe that truth is a powerful catalyst in our life, our own personal truth. And when we come to a point in growth where we really see a new truth in our life, like, like you said, it might be hiding under the surface, but it finally comes to the surface, mm. um, that things start to really shift and change for us. So what is a big truth that you've come across on your journey that's had an impact on your life? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I love that question. Um, every part of our experience eventually needs to get seen, accepted, touched, integrated um, in order for us to experience the, the depth of peace that we're capable of experiencing. Any sort of resistance uh, is going to cause us to compartmentalize and only be able to experience uh, a percentage of who we are. And the real work is learning how to make space for for all of us. Uh, it's certainly been my own work. And I still find all of these different dimensions of myself that feel harder to make space for in my awareness. But as soon as I do, as soon as I say, like, you're welcome here too, and I spend some time like allowing this part to be here, something in my system just softens. And there's a whole other layer of like not running from myself that translates to really, really profound peace. So that, that feels like one fundamental truth that I continue to deepen into and be curious about. That's really beautiful. The mm -hmm. second step is release. And usually when we profoundly see a new truth, there is something that falls away from that, whether it's just a natural falling away or whether we are actually choosing it. It can be mm -hmm. a perception. It can be a limitation. It can even be people. It can be ways of being in the world. So as you deepen this in your own life, what is something that gets released or has been chosen to be released by you? Yeah, it's it's very simply the need to manufacture the external world. Um, the more at peace I become with myself, the less I need the world to be a certain way in order for me to be okay within it. Mm, so beautiful. And the third step is experience. It goes right on the tail end of this. What does that change in your life experience? Not needing to manufacture that world. Like, How does mm. that show up in your life? Yeah. Well, then I, I can experience people and love them actually how they are without needing to make them different. I can kind of, um, there's, there's, uh, there's just more fluidity being in the world. Um, and, and it's not like there's a passive resignation. There's still things that like I want to shift and issues around the climate and maybe politics or just injustices I see. Um, but the, the relationship to all of that and how to hold it and, and how to work with it just um, comes more from a place of love than fear. And uh, that feels like really big and important work. Yeah, that's amazing. And certainly that love is at a higher frequency and we're operating then at that higher frequency. And the fourth step is really about a line, which is how do we keep allowing ourselves to evolve and be in our highest self? And so whether that's ritual or practice or ways of being in the world, what for you um, really is your go-to to stay in alignment? 
Yeah, it's um, I'll I'll first say it, then I'll explain it. Uh, for me, it's going vertical than horizontal. Um, vertical rather than horizontal. So I think a lot of uh, personal development will focus at the level of like a horizontal relationship to our lives. I'm here and I'm trying to get there. So if we think of it as a flat plane, like we're one step of the plane and then we're trying to go somewhere along it. Uh, I'm more interested in going like I'm here. How can I get more here? So a vertical relationship. And both are important because we you know, need to have goals and things that we're working toward. Um, but the more I can focus on just like being more here, experiencing the nuances of this moment rather than trying to get out of it or shift it, uh, that's, it's like my, um, the bumpers on my bowling lane. It just keeps me in check and going deeper down the path that I want to be on. Ah, that's a great analogy. I love yes. that. Um, so great. Thank you for sharing those. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. The book again is Stop Missing Your Life. You can go to stopmissingyourlife.com and get all the really cool book bonuses. There's a bunch of them. Um, and read this book and let it pour into your soul. It's a beautiful read. And there's so many practical things that you can take from this book to start finding that peace. So thank you for being with us, Corey. Yeah, my pleasure. And um, just a real quick thing that people can get totally for free. Uh, if you do want meditations and book recommendations and app recommendations and really anything to go deeper in mindfulness, um, if anyone just texts their email address to plus one six three one four zero five four six three one, you'll get an automated email with all of that right to your inbox. Um, it'll also have the links to the books and anything that we, we discussed here. Um, and I have a daily podcast called Practicing Human, uh, which talks about this stuff on a daily basis. So would love to see some people there as well. And really appreciate the time, Shauna. You're a, a wonderful interviewer and you're doing such great work. Uh, thank you. Yes, we'll have that uh, phone number where you can text him um, your information and also the name of his podcast in the show notes. So go there and you can have all of the details. Thank you, Corey. Thanks so much. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes.